0: Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling for Layton, Working Behind the Scenes. This is the final Retail Focus Podcast of 2021. We want to wish everyone, of course, happy holiday season and a happy new year coming up. Now, On today's show, we'll interview Devi Ramhatla, the Senior Vice President and Vertical Head of Retail Distribution and Transportation at Wipro Limited. He'll discuss, looking ahead to 2022, as far as it pertains to technology and retail, Wipro is a firm that works with a number of retailers out there in every different stage of retail imaginable, so a great resource to kind of bring in to preview Maybe some new technology we might see, or just technology that's emerging that might become a bit more prevalent in the year ahead. In our news segment, we'll discuss an earnings call and numbers from Rite Aid, some positivity there, as well as maybe some questioning signs. And we'll look ahead to numbers that maybe speak to a positive 2022, again, on the grocery front, even with the specter of inflation looming as a backdrop. A quick reminder, or obligatory one, that you can follow us on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter, where Leighton will be posting a number of different things throughout the course of the rest of 2021 and on into 2022. Also, if you enjoy the show, if you find the interviews fascinating and the like, please do give us a rating. Those ratings help others to find us and check us out, and certainly we wouldn't have lasted this Nearly seven years, going on seven years of the podcast, if it weren't for those ratings and helping others check out our show. Well, let's dip right into it. Now, we'll see a lot of holiday preliminary numbers during this next week, during the next five days or so, particularly from the apparel retailers, if history is any indication. But as of recording and publishing the podcast nothing as yet in terms of the sales in the lead up to christmas so we'll talk about an impressive quarter from rite aid at least on the bottom line earnings front i think there are some maybe warning signs on the dashboard still as far as rite aid is concerned these are their third quarter earnings from fiscal 2022 they released them on december 21st which is kind of interesting not many retailers typically release earnings in the week before Christmas. Most of the retail landscape fully focused on those last-minute holiday sales. And coming into the call, actually, there wasn't much positivity, given that Rite Aid recently updated their outlook on their store closure program, I anticipate closing even more stores in the near future to the tune of 63. Some of these stores have already begun the process of shutting down. And Rite Aid was coming off a Q1 and Q2 of this fiscal year that kind of left a lot to be desired. Sure, they were lapping really good comps from the first few months of the pandemic, but still, I think, a lot to be desired left on the table from their first couple of earnings calls for this fiscal year. And analysts similarly expected them to lose money on a per-share basis, with Zach's consensus expectations at a loss of $0.18 per share. But they surprised in a very pleasant way, delivering their best front store comp in some time and showcasing significant revenue growth on the retail side for a few different reasons, which, of course, we'll talk about. As far as the raw numbers are concerned, those front store comps grew 0.4%. This was their first quarter of comp sales growth since Q2 of their fiscal 2021, so in more than a year. And that was in the midst of pandemic panic buying. Since that point, front store comps have been negative, partially as a result of many of the same difficulties that kind of handcuffed Rite Aid pre-COVID, and partially because they were lapping the strong sales months of the spring and summer of the calendar year 2020. Excluding tobacco sales, their front store numbers look even better, with retail comps growing 1% even when you exclude tobacco impacts. Now, it is worth mentioning that likely front store sales because we're again talking just about the top line here were helped along by some inflationary impacts in terms of necessary price increases so when you compare this to inflation really looks like front store comps may be taking a bit of a step back but here's the interesting thing about this earnings call inflation was mentioned exactly one time not asked about it they didn't discuss it they didn't discuss kind of the impacts that they're seeing. But I think it's reasonable to assume, even on the lower end of inflation, that we're seeing some retailers report for this past quarter, 3 to 4%, that still those front sales numbers probably took a bit of a step back in comparison to inflation. Still a good thing when you see those numbers dip into the positive, because inflation, of course, has been positive for prior quarters in 2022, and they showed negative front store comps did Rite Aid. Now, it wasn't just front-end sales helping out their overall revenue. Prescription sales at Rite Aid were up 5.9% year-over-year. That's, of course, helped a bit by vaccination revenue, but script count did pop up by 7.9%, and both of those things, script count and prescription sales, have had a solid 2022 so far for Rite Aid. Script sales have been up at least 5% in each quarter, script count has been up at least 7% in each quarter during this fiscal year. Breaking this down a little bit further though, acute script count. So kind of those one-time prescriptions, you think of the antibiotics, for example, those were up 3.9% that excluded benefits from COVID and flu vaccines. By the way, on that front, they did administer nearly 4 million COVID vaccines in the quarter and around 2.1 million flu shots as well. So That, of course, certainly didn't damage the bottom line. Maintenance script count. So these are the prescriptions that are more systematic in nature. You think of things like insulin, for example, along with blood pressure medication, the like. That actually rose 1.7% on a comp basis. We're not talking about sales numbers here. We're talking about the script count. That's a positive sign as far as their market share is concerned. It means that they are, at some stage, winning new customers' For these maintenance prescriptions here all of this led to revenues in their retail segment to grow 7.9 percent year over year comps grew 4.4 percent when you take in all sources the front store sales as well as that pharmacy you'll notice that the revenues overall for the company came in higher in comparison with last year than the comps did this can actually be explained through acquisitions because again it's not like Rite Aid has been organically opening stores their total store openings have been negative for some time now but their acquisition of Bartel drugs certainly added to their top line revenues that drugstore chain in the northwestern united states and it's easy to forget and i certainly do i'm guilty of this in the past but rite aid still has 2488 retail locations to be exact so Despite all of these frequent closures and partial sell-offs to other drugstore chains, their presence is still quite notable across the U.S. and became more notable with this acquisition. So this acquisition did help on the revenue front, helped that revenue by about 330 basis points to 350 basis points during this past quarter on the retail side. So these numbers are separate from their Elixir Prescription division, which is we treat separately just as we would treat the Aetna division separately for CVS. Now, with all of this said, you would think with revenues going up, with same store sales going up, think the beginning of the call would be filled with palpable excitement from leadership, lots of optimism regarding the quarter and the direction of the company but instead we got a good five minutes of buzzwords. I nearly had a blackout on my buzzword bingo card, in fact, from CEO Hayward Donegan's monologue at the outset. I'm telling you he used every single buzzword you can think of. In fact, coined the term omni-pharmacy instead of omni-channel, so didn't necessarily use omni-channel a bunch, but did see it come up here and again, but just a lot of yeah i would say corporate speak at the beginning of this earnings call which is something that we kind of gloss over because a lot of brands you know, we remember back to the first days of the podcast pier one came out on an earnings call and they had this big monologue about how they were completely omnichannel and they were going to mobilize the consumer in ways never before done and then it turned out that they weren't completely omnichannel in fact When you went and toured their distribution centers and fulfillment centers, it became very, very clear that there were issues there. And then, of course, they ended up going bankrupt. So oftentimes the corporate gobbledygook can be taken with a grain of salt. But despite all of this, there were, I think, some items of value revealed on the call. Not necessarily positive or negative, but just some things worth noting. Now, Donegan did note some direct-to-consumer digital offerings that they'll be unveiling in the near future went into no detail whatsoever about it, but their big emphasis on the call overall was leveraging areas outside their current 17-state footprint. Their mail-order pharmacy is licensed in all 50 states, giving them the option, certainly, to serve customers across all 50 states if they so chose. Granted, the cynic among us, myself maybe included, might note that it's easier to have a presence in states where you have stores. I think this is something that Walgreens and CVS have noted with certain markets performing better in terms of their mail order services in terms of their digital services when they have stores in those markets and Rite Aid has of course closed a ton of stores or sold them off to other brands in some of these other states that they're fighting for market share in. So right off the bat you realize that they're kind of waging an uphill battle if you will and Rite Aid in some of the markets they stepped out from doesn't necessarily have the best brand recognition. Even when people recognize the brand, they don't recognize it positively because they see all of these vacant Rite Aid stores every day on their way to work. I know I was in that boat certainly for about a year. So they will have some things certainly to overcome, but Donegan also mentioned that delivery medications to customers could take place via additional channels in the future. He mentioned, in fact, that delivery of medications to customers could take place via smartphone in the future, although I'm almost 100% sure that's not what he meant. I think he meant that people could place orders via their smartphone, but he mentioned adding this smartphone delivery system to a list that included mail, same-day courier, and in-store, so it just kind of caught everyone off guard just a little bit. They have, speaking of digital, made incremental gains there, a 10% sequential increase, so quarter over quarter, in terms of customers who interacted with them digitally, and then a total digital revenue growth of 75% year over year. So some positives there, and you can certainly see where they would want to make strides in terms of their digital presence, and they feel like they have made strides over the past couple of quarters. Very interested to see what the digital offerings will be that they're rolling out that they couldn't speak to on the call. Now, as far as their front store areas in which they're seeing success, they did provide some color there. They include beauty specifically makeup and cosmetics, and personal care was also a strong category for them, as was pain care and vitamins. Another understandable jump upward in terms of their front store was upper respiratory and diagnostics, so they kind of think of in-home COVID tests, both of those things, of course, driven by COVID-related issues. They did see a drop in alcohol sales, which is somewhat unusual as many grocers and general merchandisers have called out adult beverages as a growth driver recently. Even better in terms of news for front store, they did see 7% growth on inventory turns in the quarter. I think this is more important for them than those same store sales that we look at for the front of the store because it indicates a couple of things. Primarily that they've been somewhat successful in terms of optimizing SKUs and shelf space, even if their front store sales might be lagging when compared to inflation somewhat. Reduction in front end inventory, that's something they've actually mentioned in the last couple of calls as a big initiative for them, reduction in number of SKUs, reduction in how much they're carrying at each individual store, and they actually feel as though they're ahead of schedule on this, perhaps in part because of the buying brought about by the pandemic, but also because they're working very hard to kind of figure out what their core competencies are in terms of front store and make sure that they're providing those to customers. Regarding inflation, by the way, the one time they talked about it on the call was when their COO, Jim Peters, called out a partnership with Dun humby through which they're learning where strategic price investments should perhaps be made. And as we've heard from other retailers, I think Albertson's probably the most notable that said this publicly. Rite Aid is seeking to kind of raise prices in lockstep with, or perhaps further than, inflation for certain categories that don't necessarily drive customer loyalty maybe categories that are required purchases for customers on a one-off basis but there are products for them that do tend to correlate with growing customer loyalty and for those products for those categories they're attempting to stave off price increases as much as possible or at least trying to remain competitive with pricing elsewhere in the marketplace so that they don't lose ground in terms of that never-ending battle for market share One final note, their CFO Matt Schrader on the call gave an update as far as their sale leaseback program is concerned. Rite Aid once upon a time owned a significant amount of their store base as compared to Walgreens and CVS. However, they've been endeavoring to sell and lease back many of their company owned locations as a means of generating revenue to deal with their financial position. Now this is in addition to Their recent efforts to sell stores to competitors for the same reason to try and pay down the debt to reduce their interest costs. And in this latest quarter, they completed nine sale leasebacks to generate a total of $25.6 million in additional revenue. They still own 111 of their stores, and they do anticipate further sale leasebacks in the near future. Now... In terms of the sale-leaseback dynamic, one thing I'll note is, at least from a commercial real estate perspective, Rite Aid typically commands lower prices on the real estate market versus Walgreens and CVS. This might be remedied somewhat by signing long-term leases at high dollar amounts per square foot. Could indicate maybe some strength at a particular location to a given buyer. Given the overall price of their nine sale leasebacks, on average, you're looking at just south of $3 million, which, again, most CVS locations, most Walgreens locations, typically fetch a little bit more than that. But again, you just have to wonder in terms of the perceived security that these buyers see from Rite Aid as far as the going forward progress that the company is making. And even if Rite Aid agreed to a 20 to 25 year lease, it would be doubtful that many in commercial real estate would take them on their word for the full 20 to 25 years. Now the other end of that is this, if Rite Aid of course stays there for the duration of the 20 to 25 year leases, typically in sale leasebacks you do see lease increases as a result of trying to maybe hedge a little bit against inflation. So for Rite Aid this could be something where ultimately those lease costs on their balance sheet are going to look a little bit more harsh but you could argue that that is better than maybe paying interest quarter after quarter when all is said and done right aid still carries a net debt balance of around three billion dollars so even if they sold off the rest of their 111 stores they owned i don't think that they would probably raise that three billion dollars they have 1.6 billion dollars in liquidity interest expense year over year did decline about six percent for this latest quarter They chip away from the really high leverage numbers they were carrying a few years back and one of the reasons why they were trying to sell off some of their stores to competitors in the first place or even seek kind of strategic initiatives such as the one that was in the works with Albertsons that was kind of scuttled several years ago. Well, that'll do it as far as our look at Rite Aid in our news segment. Coming up after this break, we'll be joined by Devi Ramhatla. Senior Vice President and Vertical Head of Retail Distribution and Transportation at Wipro Limited. He'll join us to discuss looking ahead at 2022, technological developments, and maybe technology that'll be adopted more readily in retail in the year ahead. It's the time of year where we begin looking forward to retail trends we can expect to bear out in 2022. And today, specifically, our goal is to look at potential trends in the confluence of retail and technology that might be of importance during this next year. And joining us to discuss such things is Devi Prasad Ramhatla. He is the Senior Vice President and Sector Head of Retail Services and Transportation at Wipro Limited. Welcome to the podcast today.
0: Hi, Trent. How are you? Thanks for having me here.
1: Well, I'm doing really well. And I was wondering first, just right off the bat, if you could give us a little background on Wipro's role in the retail industry and kind of how your company works with the retail industry on the day-to-day.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. First of all, thanks for the opportunity. You know, holiday sales season is an exciting time for us. You know, we operated the intersection of retail industry and technology. Our goal is to make it as uneventful as possible when it comes to holiday season to help retailers sell more without any outages. What we do in the industry is we work in the area of digital transformation, omni-channel. We work in store as well as in the supply chain and back office. So anything that impacts a retailer from a technology standpoint, we're there hand in love with them.
1: And so that's one of the reasons why we tapped you to talk a little bit about retail technology here over the next little while. I do want to begin with a bit of a look back, though, because over the last 21 months, I think it could be argued that retailers have seen some efficiency gains maybe accelerated as a result of the pandemic. And I'm curious, through your eyes, what are some ways in which retailers will kind of leverage technology to build on these efficiency gains in the year ahead?
0: Trent, you're absolutely right. COVID by far has become the biggest driver of innovation and change. I guess in the history of retail, and some people call it as a chief innovation officer, ranging from changing customer expectations to stretching supply chains to upending retail planning, and frankly, ushering in new retail service models and driving digital commerce. To me, I think digitalization has emerged as a key strategic initiative for all retailers, new age retailers, brick and mortar retailers, pure play digital natives, to be ready for business changes and disruptions. And technology, you're right, is playing a pivotal role in transforming mainly three things, right? One is customer engagement. Second one is in the area of store in itself. I know we focus a lot on the customer, but store and how do the store operations happen and how can we enable associates better? And the third area is, intelligent operations so those are the some of the three areas if you look at in the area of customer engagement you have seen it i have seen it and we are all participants in this consumer economy especially covid has made it a lot more vibrant in terms of shopping from anywhere Coexistence of channels is the reality which means that retailers need to be able to seamlessly exchange data across channels and ability to sort of start and complete shopping channel, shopping across multiple channels. And for large retailers, we do believe the stores continue to be the customer engagement and of product knowledge. And we have seen that touchless and frictionless experience in stores is a big thing that is going to continue to get significant investment. One thing that we have seen play out very evenly so in the last 20 months or so is social tools. Live stream-based shopping has become a thing now. Social media-based selling has become a thing now. It's not just a millennial concept anymore. More demographics are embracing this model. And also, I think personalized experiences. Personalization is a buzzword we've been listening in, we've been hearing quite a lot about at the NRF and other events. But now customers are demanding that as to how do they how do we leverage customer insights? and across touch points to drive better engagements. And convenience is frankly, a new lever of customer loyalty, providing quicker checkouts, concierge service for delivery, et cetera. Those are expectations. Customers in some ways are willing to pay more, but that's become a mechanism to improve loyalty for retailers. So that's on the, I would say the customer engagement front, that's been a big output because of COVID-19. The other one, which is on the storefront on the associate enablement, we have seen big changes on, is in how do we enable associates to be more productive? Providing them with the digital tools and relevant information at any touch points within the store is important. The labor issues that the retailers and industry is facing today, not just in the distribution centers, but also in the stores, has only accentuated the need to improve the associated productivity, ranging from store pickups to helping customers out, leveraging RFID as a technology and AR, VR. So there are a lot of deployment of digital technologies to help improve associate productivity. I spoke about this in the last NRF as well, that we used to design a lot of systems, keeping the consumer slash customer in mind. But going forward, I think a lot more systems and processes will be built, keeping the associate, retail associate in mind as well. I cannot not talk about the third topic, which is the intelligent operations, right? Which is the area of supply chain that's come to big visibility in the recent past, ranging from stranded ports, customs not clearing things on time, things getting stuck in the docks, as well as the risk of specific suppliers in parts of the world not being able to supply to the needs of the retailers. So I think having a smarter supply chain is of prominent importance now. Usage of supplier fulfillment data, customer demands, demographic information to optimize sort of various locations. We're doing a whole bunch of initiatives around this to implement micro fulfillment locations and sort of order integrations with online improving inventory visibility. So there's a whole bunch of stuff being done in the arena of smarter supply chain. Same thing with the dynamic merchandising as well. So I know I gave a whole bunch of aspects sort of unpacking the simple question that you asked me, but I hope I've been able to highlight few of the areas that you wanted me to speak about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I did want to dive in a little bit more to the associate engagement portion of technologies that are out there. I think From the outside looking in, it's easy for people to have the misconception that technology exists maybe to replace some associate work. But as you noted, it's really there to increase the efficiency and effectiveness of the associates that are out there on the floor in a brick and mortar setting. What, as we go into 2022, are some of the technologies or some of the features that specifically store associates want or need? What are kind of the table stakes there as far as empowering associates as we go into this next year?
0: You know, at a simple level, I'll give you a few examples. The cross-skilling and upskilling of associates in improving the productivity is important. I'll tell you why. You know, when we go to a store, we know of associates either at the checkout counters are helping you out in the aisles. That used to be the conventional realm and the definition of what an associate does. Now, with the preponderance of omni channel, buy online, pick up in store, or curbside pickup, more and more we are seeing cases where associates need to cross skill and upskill themselves to be able to talk to customers in the omni channel realm. And the profile of those customers is very different than people who come to the store. So how do we have the same associate be able to perform multiple duties the day in the life of an associate? For example, when they go to the store, they need to know what the schedule is and when are they doing buy and pickup in store? When are they doing store layout? When are they doing repacking? So there are multiple items on the agenda of a store associate these days, and hence cross-skilling and upskilling is important. There is also expanded adoption of digital methods to pick, pack, and ship. We are seeing examples of voice-based picking, automation of put-away to enable associates to increase productivity and help alleviate the shortage of labor. We are also seeing the demonstration of RFID and digital methods at stores to enable Associates to complete tasks like stock takes, receiving restocking and checkouts much faster. There are examples of vision based analytics to optimize staff on the floor, optimizing labor and schedules. That's more a supervisory thing that people are doing these days, but vision based analytics is also one mechanism that's being put in place. You know, one more aspect that I believe will become a trend for the future is sort of like how tech workers used to have a talent marketplace for the companies that are working to be able to pick and choose jobs internally. I think associates will soon be having platforms where they can apply for jobs within the enterprise because of the cross skilling and upskilling that has happened. This industry is dealing with high levels of attrition right now and to reduce the churn and to improve the longevity of employees working for retailers, I think they need to be given more digital tools. As well as talent and career options within the enterprise to improve the retention of employees.
1: That's such a great point, there. And anything that keeps that employee churn down is obviously going to add to the bottom line for retailers out there as well. Now, one of the things that you also mentioned, kind of in your first answer to the very first question, was about personalization. As you mentioned, now customers are demanding personalization, and I'm kind of curious about this technology. I'll give a, a personal example. I'm allergic to chocolate. and I haven't purchased chocolate in some time, and yet all of the biggest grocers continue to send me personalized coupons and offers for chocolate items. What are some of the current shortfalls maybe in personalization mechanisms, and how can some of these be improved or maybe remedied going forward?
0: I think data is going to play a big role in that. I think many retailers are taking an integrated view now, but some retailers continue to take a siloed view, meaning when you have multiple channels at play here, part of the omni-channel, the data platforms do not talk to each other, let alone the data platform for a single channel there is not as much intelligence built into it. So I think two things need to happen. And I guess I'm trying to oversimplify this, but two things need to happen. Number one is there needs to be a single data view or a platform stitching all these multiple channels together. There has to be a single customer view, a single product view, single order view, so to speak. I think that integration is the need of the hour. That's number one. Second one is once such a platform is built, The retailers need to start taking a look at this as, once I have a data platform, the data needs to lead to insights, and those insights need to lead to actions. The point that you talked about, where you continue to get promotions on chocolates, you know, if we are able to stitch the data that Trent prefers maybe wine and cheese as opposed to chocolates, it's not a very difficult thing for the data to be mined to reflect this. But what's important is what are the insights that we arrive at that and what actions who ultimately are responsible to send these campaigns out to consumers like you and I. I think they need to be given the campaign tools to be able to know what they want to do. So data leading to insights leading to actions is at a very basic level that we need to do. On top of it, then there's a concept of machine learning and AI to make it better. There are great examples of on the online side as well as on the brick and mortar side where retailers have been able to do that. But if I talk for the industry, I think there's a lot left to be desired, both in terms of integrations of data as well as leading actions from the data that is already out there.
1: Some great insight. And honestly, I would love coupons for wine and cheese. So if you're a grocer out there, please send me those coupons instead. Now, I did want to ask, I know one of your company's specialties is cybersecurity, working with companies regarding cybersecurity. Just on a general basis, without you know too many specifics, what are some cybersecurity challenges we may see retailers encounter more of in 2022?
0: That's a great question. First of all, I think cybersecurity and Protecting customer information are areas I believe are targeted for significant spend in technology advancements in 2022 and beyond. The reasons are obvious. Damage for cyber breaches had never been higher and more visible than before. The risks from cyber incidents have never been higher. Consumer expectations from a standpoint of digital channels are very very high for retailers right now. Given all of these things, we are also seeing increase in fraud. And I just talked about the leverage of big data as well, the leverage of data and big data. When such data is being mined for customers' convenience, the data falls into the hands of wrong actors, help breaks loose. So what we are doing now is we're looking in a three-pronged approach. One is in terms of how do we detect fraud and what sort of platforms can we offer to the customers, not only from a technology standpoint, but also from a business process standpoint to detect fraud and to help alleviate the situation for customers and handle the customers in case fraud happens. So fraud is one area that we work very closely with the customers. The second one is with respect to threat detection, threat vectors. Detection of threat, how do we perceive that, and how do you manage that? Vipro, with the help of some of the companies that we've invested in the startup, in the Silicon Valley startup area, through Vipro Ventures, we've been able to stitch together a solid offering of integrated threat management that we are offering as a service to our customers. Now, the importance of this is leveraging machine learning and data to be able to detect threats before they really happen and customers are increasing their investments into cybersecurity across the board, but specifically in the area of integrated threat management. The third one is something that's come to light, not so much in the area of cyberspace, but security as such. You know, with stores getting raided and merchandise being lost to organized looting that's been happening in some of the cities that's come across in the news, I think LP and loss prevention as an area has picked up for discussions in the customer areas. How do we leverage IP, digital IP surveillance and monitoring and looking at loss prevention as an area is going to be an area of conversation and spend going forward. So those are the three broad topics, if you may. Fraud management, integrated threat management from a cyber standpoint. And third one is more in the topic of loss prevention, leveraging digital tools and security mechanisms within the store are the three areas that we are going after. Now, it's been a
1: wide-ranging conversation to this point. We've talked a little bit about a lot of different things here, but through your lens, what is maybe one area of opportunity that you see out there for retailers in 2022 as it pertains to technology?
0: You know, we launched an initiative called SHIFT because we truly believe that digitalization has emerged as a key strategic initiative for retailers and brands are rewiring to be ready for business. We believe there is a need to shift to bold new approaches, providing opportunities that can shape the future of retail in the context and COVID-19 has only accelerated the situation, accelerated the journey. So shift is about seamless human-centric, intelligent, future-ready, trust-oriented technology environment with the underpinning of digitalization. So the single most opportunity that I see for retailers going forward is the area of digitalization across the three channels I talked about. The three channels being the customer engagement, the associative enablement, and the intelligent operations.
1: Well, as I mentioned, it's been a wide-ranging conversation. You brought up a lot of things that don't really appear to a lot of onlookers from the surface as it pertains to technology and its confluence with retail. Once again, Debbie Prasad, I thank you so much for the conversation today and taking the time to join us.
0: Thank you so much for having me here. This is a busy time of the year for all of us at the intersection of retail and technology. So far, so good as far as the holiday sales are concerned. We're looking forward to supporting retailers in the coming days and weeks to have a solid Water, as far as holiday sales is concerned. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts.
1: Well, as we kick off our final segment, our looking ahead segment, I did want to quickly address an item that We've talked a lot about on the podcast, our guests have talked a lot about on the podcast, and that has to do with supply chain and potentially empty shelves as we got closer to Christmas. And now that Christmas has come and gone, I've been to several markets in the last couple of weeks, in the southwestern United States, in the Mountain West, and in the Great Plains. During my travels, I started to notice a bit of a trend, which is that there wasn't a trend as far as empty shelves were concerned. Most of the retailers I was going to had reasonably full shelves, and in fact, the only retailers that I saw run out of a certain product happened to be hams at grocery stores. I noticed kind of a dearth of those. There were still some, but not maybe as many as there were turkeys at Thanksgiving. So again, you kind of wonder in the back of your head if retailers just dealt with it really, really well, and maybe this was a lot of crying wolf on the part of the retailers themselves, maybe a bit of sandbagging expectations if you will maybe it got blown out of proportion by the media but again it was something that all of our guests have spoken to and most of them are very very highly in tune with the retail industry and talk with a number of retail leaders so i just thought it was interesting that even on up into christmas eve i was out shopping around in phoenix and tucson arizona stores were packed with people but the shelves were also packed not at all empty very encouraging i think to see from retailers as long as that reason that the shelves weren't empty was because sales were flagging at these particular retailers but again i'm inclined to think that that wasn't the case i think a very good job done over the past couple of months by retailers to try and keep shelves full where they could now that's not our looking ahead story in fact our looking ahead story is going to be kind of similar to the interview we just conducted with Debbie and that we're looking ahead to 2022. We get a KPMG survey, so great data here, via supermarket news that indicates that U.S. shoppers predict that they will spend 14% more on average per month for their groceries. This is a great sign for grocers if this happens to come true. Now we know That not always do people know exactly how they spend their money, of course, as some of the holiday retail data we discussed back in October suggested. Some people saying that they would spend as much as 70 to 80 percent of their money online during the holiday season, and we know historically that hasn't been the case. They said the same thing in 2020, and we know, of course, that that wasn't the case there. So Again, take it with a grain of salt, not take the data necessarily with a grain of salt, as KPMG does a great job with their data, usually a very thorough poll. Here of 1,000 consumers, average grocery spend is projected to be $611 for 2022 versus expectations of $532 in 2021. Now, most of the survey respondents still come in expecting to spend less than $300 But those top spenders seem to be increasing. In fact, 2% more people than last year expect to spend more than $900 a month on groceries. And overall, the percentage of people spending more than $500 a month has also jumped by about 70 basis points. So very good signs there if you're a grocery retailer because this number comes in well above the number for inflation or expected inflation for grocery. I think some of the harsher estimates regarding grocery inflation have it pegged for maybe reaching the 9 to 10% range. I don't know that that's going to be the case. It seems most numbers for inflation are coming in between 5 and 7%. So if grocers could put up 14% comp gains, even when factoring in inflation, that would be certainly a net positive for them in the coming year. And what's more is spending increases for grocery were higher than just about every other category, with the exception of personal care products, which also came in at 14%. Good news for Rite Aid, who we talked about in our first segment. 9% increases also for prescription drugs. But only 3% increases expected for entertainment and media, which is interesting given the popularity of streaming services, given the new streaming services that seem to pop up on a monthly basis. And here's another key number from this KPMG survey. Furniture and home improvement expenditures by individuals, they anticipate that only increasing 3% in 2022 versus 2021. So maybe what Marvin Ellison was talking about, what we talked about last week on the show for Lowe's, that might play out in terms of what we find as far as where people are spending their money. Now, some other interesting findings in this, again, happens to fall into perception versus reality. Customers anticipate spending about 22% more on groceries this next year in 2022 versus 2021. Of course, they don't have access to the numerical data that KPMG was also asking about. So that's the reason for the difference there. People would report a certain numerical value and then say that that was more or less a 22% or what they perceived as a, 22% increase there. So again, interesting data as far as plans going forward. 35% of respondents said they plan to cook or prepare dinner more often in 2022. 32% said the same thing for lunch. And you've got only 26% saying that they're going to dine out more for dinner. Only 24% dining out more for lunch. So maybe that anticipated pop post-pandemic that everyone is expecting to go back to restaurants maybe that will be the case because again perception for customers doesn't always line up with reality and best laid plans and all that for customers but overall we're seeing a populace that's really really into buying groceries cooking at home right now so that's very good signs for grocery stores it's very good signs for meal prep services or meal at home services and the like Maybe not great signs for restaurants and even some of the grocers in grocery stores as well. So again, not saying that this is exactly how it's going to pan out, but I do think that it's interesting in this survey set by KPMG, people expecting to spend more on grocery next year versus this year. This year, by the way, a pretty good year overall for grocery. So grocery share of wallet continues to seem to want to go up. At least as far as customer habits are concerned well that'll do it for this edition of the retail focus podcast we thank you for listening to another year of the show we kick off year number seven next week we'll have an interview with paul brenner now we had paul on the show a couple of years ago he's the president of audio out of home and chief strategy officer at Vibonomics. Vibonomics, the company that runs audio out of home and audio services for a number of retailers Perhaps the most notable of which is Kroger, but they've added a number of C-stores as well to their business. We'll talk to them about the changes in audio out of home over the last couple of years since last we spoke to them. We'll talk to them a little bit about the approach to audio out of home in terms of convenience stores, because again, that's something that they're adding to their portfolio. A little bit of a different scope in terms of audio out of home, because you're not spending as much time in those C-stores versus the grocery stores. We'll talk to them about the awesome audio mix that Vibonomics comes up with. I was in a Kroger store today, and I heard Future Islands, which I never thought I would hear in a grocery store. Very, very happy to hear it, though. And I was singing along in the aisles, probably looking like a maniac while doing so. But hey, that's their intent, and then right after that song came on, on came an ad. So they had me listening, they had me hooked, they got the job done there in that circumstance. So we'll talk to him about the very interesting circumstances surrounding audio out of home or really in-store audio for various retailers throughout the country. He'll also talk about, and I think this is interesting, his evaluation of audio out of home at other retailers. Of course, his evaluation for those partnering with Bibonomics will be a little bit more favorable, but I think he brings an interesting perspective in terms of what other retailers are doing as well with their audio out of home. So that's coming up next week. Until then, have a great seven days and we'll be back with you in 2022.
0: This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.